You bringing that coffee, sweetheart? Thank you. All right, boys and girls, we are live. My name is Rob. This is Rob's School of Music, my interview series, and we are talking to the legendary rock and roll bass player, Mr. Todd Kearns. Hello and welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay, man. As good as can as we can be, you know. <laughs> I know, right? We live in interesting times. We do. We do. I don't know. Uh, I'm over here in New York, and things are what they are. But uh, Whereabouts in New York are you? Uh, we're in a town called Rockland County. It's about 40 miles outside New York City. Great, suburb. great. Yeah. So pretty calm here, but yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. I'm in, I'm in Vegas, and I people keep, you know, especially my Canadian friends are always like, how is it down there? Like, it's supposed to be like Escape from New York or, you know, yeah, yeah. that kind of vibe. I'm like, it's the same. I live in the suburbs. I, you know, it is what it is. All we can do is just smile. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we are we are a music school, as I mentioned. We have a physical location uh, about uh, 40 minutes or so outside New York City. And when COVID came in, we moved everything online. Cool. And since March, we've done a little over 3,000 virtual lessons. Great. And, yeah, it's been super killer. I feel very blessed. And something I started doing shortly thereafter was these, uh, you know, weekly or biweekly interviews just to kind of bring the rock and roll world into the world of the students. Great. That's exciting. Yeah, man. It's been super fun. I've gotten to talk to some really incredible people, yourself included. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. 100%. Awesome. So the, uh, the first question I usually start off with, so like I said, we're a school, obviously. Our students... Um, most of them are younger, not younger in age, but more younger in their musical journey, you know, sure. be beginners. Yeah. And a big thing that they struggle with back when this was a, even a thing to deal with is uh, stage fright, you know, performance oh, okay. anxiety. A big mm -hmm. thing we do here is we put the students into bands and we book them at local bars and we get them, you know, gigs. Sure. So you've played on some of the biggest stages in the world. Um, do you have any tips on overcoming stage fright, anxiety? You know, it's such an interesting thing to me because I've had this conversation on, on, on numerous occasions The because um, I was one of those kids that was, for all intents and purposes, a shy guy. Like I was sort of like not super excited about, you know, speaking in public or any of those things that normally freak people out. But I think music, for whatever reason, sort of, I kind of found my place as far as like, standing up in front of people, peacocking around with a guitar on just seemed like totally normal to me. And it, and I suppose it's also just watching countless hours of the Rolling Stones and ACDC and Kiss and whatever band I'd seen a million times in my life and just saying, well, this is what you do. You just get up here and you just, it's a kind, of, kind of like an exorcism of, of energy and just this whole, uh, the whole thing. So to me, it's weird to say um, that I don't really and haven't really struggled too much with um, stage fright in that way. Um, although, you know, sometimes having, you know, Christmas dinner with a bunch of strangers or like, you know, family or whatever can be more awkward than just getting up in front of thousands of people and playing loud. I don't know why that is for me. Um, I think, but I, I also do believe that I was very fortunate as a kid to, instead of a high school job packing groceries or whatever, I was playing in a band with um, some older cats and we would go like every Friday out to other towns and play in bands and high school dances and uh, like 
community parties and and uh, that kind of thing. Some some kind of some clubs, even though we were probably too young to be in them. <laughs> um, but I kind of got my feet wet doing that. And then it, where I, I grew up in Canada, where actually once we kind of got um, a little older, we started playing in in the Canadian club circuit. Um, which was predominantly a top 40 kind of thing, but they had, um, you could play six nights a week. You'd go to some town, load in, on, load in on a Sunday, play Monday to Saturday, drive to the next town and do the same thing all over again. So we'd play three, three to four sets a night. And, you know, after, you know, a couple weeks of doing that, it's... <laughs> it's okay. We're closed. um but after a couple weeks of doing that it's it's you know it's sort of normal i think you know i mean it's okay don't even worry about it don't worry about it but they also uh you know for us it was a lot of like you know playing in front of like i don't know like work workman crowds in some oil rig town where they don't really want to see you play music and they don't know why this loud racket is happening in their local bar. Right. So there was a certain amount of like baptism and fire playing to people who do not want to listen to you. (laughs) 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 That's very punk rock of you. Right. You know, my son is sitting out there, so they see someone out in the front. So he's probably just waved them on, but he's not. Yeah. He's probably terrified at the stranger outside the in the lobby, but it's okay. Understandable, understandable. Um, but yeah, no, so mostly I, I think it was just uh, like I always I always consider like the Beatles when the Beatles went to uh, Hamburg, you know, they always talk about that before they became the Beatles, they went off to, to Hamburg, Germany and played like multiple sets a night and, and, and just played every single day and, and they got better and better and better and became this really tight unit. You know what I mean? And I think it becomes, it becomes super normal to be playing in front of people after a while. To be honest, I, I feel this is weird to say, cause it's like, there's times where I'll be in the club. You know, sometimes I come to the show early. It's different when you're playing arenas and that kind of stuff. But in my world, like when I'm doing my own thing, it's I'm playing in a club and I come down early, I'm talking to people, you get overwhelmed and you think to yourself, I can't wait to get on stage to get away from this stuff, you know? And uh, it seems like a strange thing to say, but it's it's actually true. Like I'm like more comfortable on stage than I am, like I said, sitting at some awkward dinner with people I don't know having to create chit chat. <laughs> but you know what, dude, like that, that of all the people I've asked that question to, that is the most relatable answer to me personally. Not making Interesting. Um, you know, not trying to make it about me in any way, but for me, I was the same way, like the stage, I came out of my shell, but in real life, even still, I'm very shy and like yeah. I, this personality I'm here and as the teacher and I've done gigs as well. But yeah, you put me at like a table with some strangers, I shut down like no one's business. So yeah, I, I get know. it. It, it, is a, it is a strange thing because I may, there might be a certain amount of armor that goes on getting on stage, your guitar, loud music, you know, you're kind of like, you, people can't ignore you because you're so damn loud. So yeah. you know, like and i think that's part of the uh it must be part of it because i was a very like i say you know no one would have called me outgoing as a kid i was very sort of you know sort of quiet and sort of but but once i sort of got into this world you sort of create this personality it's kind of like you find yourself really yeah 100 percent. and and like i've seen that happen with so many of our students along the way that like a parent will reach out and be like you know my daughter wants to 
I want her to play guitar. I don't know what she wants to do with her life, but let's try it out. And, you know, six months, 12 months, 16 months down the road, all of a sudden, you know, they're wearing, they got the leather jacket, the little yeah. nose, <laughs> nose stud in there. And it's like, oh, sure, there you yeah. are. You found yeah, it. Sure, yeah. I think um, that's true. I think that's true of almost anybody. When you, when you kind of find something, you know, no one can be forced to be passionate about something they're just not passionate about. If you find your thing, sometimes it's painting or whatever, you know, it's like, for me, it was a bit, I, I saw the kids are all right, the who movie when I was very young. And I went like, I'm going to do that. Right. I think I had a very difficult time looking at the Beatles because the, or, or Elvis or even kiss, you know, like I never really related that those were things I could do. I don't know why I just thought the Beatles were from Valhalla and Elvis was a God and kiss were superheroes. So it didn't seem like something I could do, but the who seemed like, I guess kind of the more punk rock thing, like smashing sure. guitars. And I thought, this seems like a great way to get you know this out of my system. <laughs> yeah, actually, that yeah. that was literally one of the questions I always ask is you know what's the thing that made you do the thing? But that's really cool. Um, so what was the journey like? You know, you say you're playing in bands and stuff and traveling around. Like, how did you get from playing around your hometown in Canada all the way to here? Oh, uh, it's it's a heck of a journey, actually. I mean, you know, like like anybody, I started out playing playing guitar. My, my dad was a musician. Uh, well, he, he played guitar. I wouldn't call him a musician per se. He would like bust it out, play the three, three chord country songs, that kind of thing. He had a cool old harmony guitar with the F holes cool. and I would strap it on and run around the house pretending I was, you know, go figure, you know, whatever you, you name it, Angus Young or something. And then, and he was like, no, 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 no. This is a C chord. That's a D chord. That's a G chord or whatever the three. I think those are probably the three chords. And you can play a million songs with those mm -hmm. chords, you know. And I think, you know, then, then it's sort of like other guys my age were starting to play guitar. And the next thing you know, you're making a horrible racket in the garage or in the basement. And then the horrible racket gets a little less horrible. And then you, you know, and then I, my father in his wisdom sort of went, well, you have a guitar. I had an Epiphone acoustic guitar. And he said, you need a bass guitar. And I go, okay, it's the strangest logic that I think he kind of rattled onto. And I was like, okay. So we bought this, uh, 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 I think it's a 70s or 80s. I have to take a look at it. I have it still on it, but it's a it's a, a Gibson EB3 SG bass. And uh, suddenly then I was playing, you know, I would go to high school and it'd be like, this guy has a Gibson because Gibson was, you know, was a yeah. grown up guitar. To have, you know? And I'm like, I could barely play, but I was suddenly playing with these older guys. And bass, bass especially was the kind of thing that, Everybody wanted to be a drummer or a guitar player or the lead singer. No one ever said like, you know, I guess John Paul Jones and John Entwistle were always the quiet guys in the back. And uh, so I just kind of found myself playing along with these guys. And and and, and then I, then you get really good you, or you get better really fast trying to play with guys better than you. And it's one of my one of the biggest things I recommend is even now to try and put yourself in a position to play with guys who are, you know, better than you are, better than I am. I mean, that's a that's sort of a subjective term, but I mean, like there's a lot of guys that I, I sit in with and I'm like, I never went to the school of Steely Dan and all that. So, right. I, you know, I was more in the cheap trick and the New York dolls and, and, and kiss and that whole world was my thing. And then, um, you know, you advance quickly enough. I, I was a kid. I started playing around in, in Canada my brother and I eventually put a band together and we got signed. Uh, we got signed out of New York city, which is weird for some kids in a small town in Canada. And uh, we moved to Vancouver, Canada. Made a record with made records with Bob Rock, who did Metallica. And, That's awesome. And Molly Crew and all that. And and it was somewhat fruitful. We went on to do our own thing, became independent. We got a gold record out of our one record. Then we split up as bands do. And 
And uh, I, I did a few things before I, I found myself in, in the States. And that's when the Slash gig kind of came up. And it was just sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm very sort of squashing this all together. Otherwise, I'll be sitting here talking about it. And then in 1993, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, you know, then I came to Vegas. Um, it was playing a lot in, in the area. I just honestly kind of never really moved. I just sort of came down here because my friends were here and we were playing around and doing a bunch of fun stuff. And then the Slash gig came up and that is just over 10 years ago now. And, and since then, it's been around the planet a hundred times, you know, and it that's, continues. That's so cool, man. Um, the Vancouver, that was like a hot spot for a minute, right? That was like, you know, LA North kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Vancouver still, um, especially when it comes to, to television and film, it's a, got a massive community for that. When I first went out there, uh, Vancouver had a, a recording studio called Little Mountain Sound, and that was where Aerosmith and uh, Metallica was doing some stuff there. ACDC was doing stuff there. I think the newest record actually still done in Vancouver, um, the new ACDC record. Yeah. Uh, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, like the list goes on of all those bands. So when we went out there, it was just like this this hotbed of, of stuff happening out there. And, uh, you know, that was the early nineties. So there was a massive change unfolding as we got there and, you know, the hard rock kind of thing really altered. And we found ourselves in this alternative rock world. And, you know, we were young and we, you know, we went from being like kids who loved these kind of guitars <laughs> and then went, you know, we were sort of like very honestly sort of, slid into this alternative rock thing, which to me always felt like just another, you know, it's just another chapter of the same book. So, right. um, but then, you know, it's, you find yourself back uh, for the longest time and until Slash, actually, I still considered myself in Vancouver and down in the States. Like I kind of found myself bouncing around a lot more. Um, Slash sort of made it that you just get on that spaceship and just travel around the world and wherever it takes you, that's where it takes you spits you out back in Vegas for a while, you know, <laughs> then you got to go back to Vancouver and reconnect with your friends and family. That's incredible. I have a bunch of questions about the slash thing, but I want to just, um, so along the way, is there any, cause I mean, that's an epic journey, you know, come right out yeah. first record signed Bob rock gold, like, you know, to, to a young person picking up an instrument, like you hit it, you know, right there. And then to take that, and ride the roller coaster to something even awesomer or equally awesome or however you choose to look at it. Like what was the mentality to sustain that? Like, you know, obviously I can tell you like myself, you're, you're made of it. So it's who you are, but like, do you have any tips on just dealing with the, the bumps in the road? Um, I think the bumps in the road really test who you are and it really sort of makes you kind of go, do you really want to do this? Cause you know, I remember being a kid and, traveling around in vans and then breaking down in Canada where you're going to freeze to death, you know, kind of, and, you know, and really basically struggling. But in all honesty, I don't remember ever saying to myself, I can't do this or I hate this to be honest. I got to be honest. I was like a hundred percent like, dude, I cannot wait. We get to play like tomorrow night. I will drive 20 hours to get to that gig. I'm ready to go. And I, and, I, and along the way, I saw friends of mine going like, you know, they, their dad had a, a company or something and they went back to a job or they went to school or they, they got lives. They, they became adults, grownups and with real, you know, prospects. And I, and I was just sort of like, 
I never lost that. And I still really haven't lost that sort of feeling of like, this isn't this great? We get to do this? Like, right. whether it's like being in a studio or a rehearsal or even sitting down to learn songs that are like going, going over material for an upcoming rehearsal. I, I, I really enjoy that. And I, I don't know if it's the kind of thing that you can just sort of like create, you kind of either have that or you don't. So, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are really passionate about other things and I just don't share that passion. But, um, but again, yeah, there's, there's going to be no matter what you do, especially when you decide to do something off the normal path. I always say to my friends, I'm always like, Look, the amount of time I put into the music industry, if this was any other job, like I started in the mailroom, I'd be the president of the company by now. Right. You know, I mean, I, that's just the reality of the amount of time that goes into this. But, you know, there's there's no guarantee. There's a great, there's a song by Kiss called God Gave Rock and Roll to You, which is originally an Argent song, if you want to go down this nerd rabbit hole that I always go down. But um, there's a great line in that song that says, uh, it's never too late to work nine to five. And I've always held on to that line. I thought, you know, it's true. You know, it's like, you can be... And, and it goes through anything when you do this sort of, whether it's acting or comedian or music, you know, anything that's really kind of off the beaten path, you can go off and have a hit TV show. And there's no guarantee that anybody's sort of waiting for you to give when, it, when that wraps up to give you another TV show or give you another movie. It's just sort of like it's the nature of this wacky business. So if you're lucky enough, and I do feel very fortunate to have sort of stumbled, <laughs> stumbled along the way, because it seems like when you look at it on paper, it all makes sense. Then he just went to the States and he just got the slash gig. It's like, <laughs> it's not really like that. I was down here for about three years, you know, doing my thing, playing, having a blast, making music with friends and whatnot. And then, then stuff like slash just appears, but you know, you, you, ha you have to go and, 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 and uh, prove yourself quite often. You have to kind of prove yourself again. And I, I think that's part of the thing is, uh, you just got to keep going. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is as I got older, I stopped saying no to anything. You know, I started being like, I, yes, let's do that. Okay. And as, as I had a conversation with Dave Ellison from Megadeth and one of his great quotes is something that I also believe is it's better to be double booked than not booked. You know what I mean? Like you have to figure yeah. out like on November 7th, I've got to do, Oh man, I got to do both those things. You know, you got to figure it out. It's better than looking at your calendar and just seeing nothing, you know. Yeah. Which is which is kind of what COVID is actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I, I want to unpack a lot of what you just said because I think it, it's so brilliant to 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 put it that way. I mean, first of all, keep going. There's there's a whiteboard in front of me. I can't turn the camera to see it, but that's my personal mantra. I literally have written keep going. Yeah, yeah. Because like, uh, you know, something that I try and instill into the students, like my musical journey in you know, a high school band, college band, touring, uh, more touring, endorsements, uh, PRS guitar endorsement, like, oh my yeah. God, I made it. And then all of a sudden, like, um, I was having a kid and I said, you know, I shouldn't be on the road anymore. So I started yeah. doing like the uh, corporate gigs, wedding bands, stuff like that, still recording, still putting music out, but focusing on that. Um, and then the opportunity to start teaching music. And then all of a sudden I have the school. And now due to COVID, it's coming back. We started putting out music, rock music, because I made a rock music. And then yeah. um, this Dave O'Day, who's a, a big producer, did a remix of our rock song. And now our rock song is on BPM, on Sirius Radio. And all of a sudden, like a whole new channel opened up. And that's kind of the thing that I try and instill in anyone who wants to pursue this is keep going. Don't say no. Take every opportunity that comes your way. Don't be pretentious of one gig over the next gig. A gig is a gig. You got to eat. And yeah. Yeah. Very cool. To be honest, a lot of the things that uh, scared the heck out of me 
saying heck because I don't know how old your viewers are. <laughs> uh, you could you but, let let them fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always. Uh, I have children. I'm a. I'm, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're. Uh, you know, I think there have been things that. I remember I was telling the story not that long ago because I, I, I make records now as an acoustic. Like, I, I love doing that. I was really inspired by the, the Johnny Cash records where it was just him and a guitar. I thought that yeah. was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. So I did that. But I remember years, like late 90s, a friend of mine was doing a, a benefit show. Uh, and he was like, we're doing a, you know, a bunch of us are getting up. We're playing songs, acoustic guitar. It's going to be fun. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, absolutely. It was the great cause. And I, and I remember hanging up the phone back when you would hang up a phone. And I remember saying, I remember saying, like, I've never played in front of an audience with an acoustic guitar. What the hell am I talking about? And I'm like, but I remember saying, like, I've always wanted to. Why wouldn't I do that? So, so I remember, like, 1998, 97 or something like that, I stood on stage with an acoustic guitar. Because there's something really, you know, the, the net that catches you in a rock band is, like, if people don't like you, you just keep playing. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Your loud drums, loud guitars, it doesn't matter. They, you know, they, they, they have, they, you force them to sit through it. But when it's, I always, I have the greatest respect for my comedian friends because it's literally a microphone. Oh, my God, and, I could. Oh, it's just horrifying. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I'm always impressed. But, so the acoustic guitar is a step away from that where you're literally, like, and it's weird to me because you can hear the humming of the audience, the talking. No matter, even if they're listening, you're still hearing like, you know, the, the hum of the audience, the whole thing. You're like, things you don't notice when you're loud. You know what I mean? And uh, so it really kind of, again, that's another one of those things that I was kind of like, it wasn't really, didn't feel supernatural to step into that. I've also, I've also done a little bit of acting in my life which was very similar thing where someone, you know, I had, I had so many friends in the film industry and, and, uh, TV industry when it's, you know, it'd be like, well, we need somebody with long hair and tattoos. So Todd has long hair and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, you know, so that thing kind of happened and, and, and that would be like, my, my initial instinct would be absolutely not. I am not interested in doing that, but it was the kind of thing where I think I've always been pretty good at like, you know what? Okay. I think I should do that because it, it's sort of my, my instinct to say, Oh, oh, absolutely not. It's, it's different when you kind of look at something and you think, eh, that's not for me or it doesn't sound like fun. It, but it's another thing when you kind of say, I should face this fear, you know, and go all in, you know. And then right. often you come out the other side. And, and I did come out the other side with things like acting and go like, that's not really for me. But I'm still glad I kind of, you know, kind of went down that alley because, um, uh, again, it, it comes up almost, you know, it comes up a lot. I, I, I get offered a lot of things and there's, Lots of things that I go, you know, and it depends on the reasons. I've always said it's kind of like it's either about money or it's a lot of fun or it's really great for your career or you just love the dudes you're playing with. You know, the, all those things kind of have to line up. And sometimes a gig is one of those things. Sometimes a gig is two of those things. Sometimes a gig is all of those things. If it's none of those things, then I'm kind of like, nah, you know, it's like it, it doesn't pay very much. It's a total hassle. You know, it's like, I don't, you know, you don't get along with any of these people. It's like, well, why would I do that? But um, unless it's, unless it's something you're trying to like, you know, building blocks to kind of get yourself connected in a scene. Like if I was to move to Nashville tomorrow, I would kind of be starting from scratch in a, in a, in a you know, kind of, not really, because I, I do have a reputation, but um, either way, there are, every city you go to has a thing and you kind of got to get inside the thing before you can really connect. So. I just love the thing, you know, yeah. like, yeah. it's who I am. That's, that's, that's what it is, man. If you got to love the process and every step of it. Um, so 
in regards to the the, the whole slash world, um, you know, legendary guitarist, obviously. Um, what's the he's okay? He's yeah. got a real future. That kid's yeah. got a future. Yeah. <laughs> if he only had some sort of if he uh, had a, he, a wardrobe gimmick of some kind, he needs a he needs some kind of a, a gimmick. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, I, I met him at the NAMM show like 20 years ago. I waited on a line at the Marshall booth forever. And, oh, when I wow. got, and when I got up to him, the dude behind me was wearing the same shirt he was wearing. So the, the photograph we have together is me smiling at the camera and him pointing at the dude behind me because they have the same shirt. Damn it. That's, that's <laughs> still hanging that's on the wall. That's but, uh, but he was super cool in, in my super small interaction. Um, what's that process like when you guys are putting a record together? Like, is it... Uh, I don't know. Just what's that like? I can't even imagine. It's it's that's a really interesting thing because with Slash, I was just telling the story yesterday to a friend of mine. How in the '90s, like around '91, I my band went down to Hollywood to be to become superstars. It didn't really happen that way, but you know, we played gigs at the Whiskey a Go Go and the Roxy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we would hang out at the Rainbow every night, and everybody was at the Rainbow back then. It was like. The, the, they, they always talk about like the 90s happened and all of a sudden the, the Sunset Strip just died. It, it, it definitely slowed down mid-90s, but in the early 90s, it was still very much alive. You could mm -hmm. you could literally go to the Sunset Strip and never go into a club, and it was like you were at a party on the street all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we would go down to the Rainbow. We, we were down there a couple of weeks playing some showcases and whatnot. And the Rainbow, you know, like I say, Lemmy was there, all these all these. You know, like we were like literally small town kids with a piece of straw hanging out of your mouth. Like, wow. <laughs> and Slash was there. We were in the November Rain booth at the back. If you if you mm -hmm. are familiar with the Rainbow, there's mm -hmm. a, a big booth in the back. And Slash was in the corner with the, that he would always sit in. And he got up and he sat down at our table. Hey, who are you guys? It was like, <laughs> we're like <laughs> the guitar player from the biggest band on the planet just sat down at our table and goes. And he went around to Todd, John. He went around the table. And that's the kind of guy he was. He was just this regular dude. Like, he was, like, really a cool guy. Now, he has no recollection of that. He, he always goes, was I nice? If I ever, if that story ever comes up, I go, yeah, you were great. You were awesome. It was the best interaction I could possibly have with somebody of that stature, you know. Sure. Um, but then you fast forward all these years later, our drummer, Brent Fitz, who's been an old friend of mine for, like, 30 years in some, you know, in off and on kind of ways. He's also Canadian. Um, he gets the gig with Slash. And then he starts pulling all kinds of strings to go, you got to get my friend Todd. He's, he's the guy for this gig. And I'm, at the time I was sort of like, I was really busy with a, with a project I had here in Vegas. And we were like constantly working and, and making music and doing stuff. So it wasn't like I was clamoring for, or like begging for the gig. I was just sort of like, in fact, I was actually just his like cheerleader going like, that's amazing, dude. Good for you. That's awesome. And then when it came up, I was like, okay, Slash was supporting a solo record with, Miles Kennedy and Lemmy and Chris mm -hmm. Cornell and Iggy Pop, all these different dudes singing on it. And we were just, and I wasn't sure, are we going out for three months of just like flyouts on weekends? Like, you know, but it went on for a year and a half. And then all of a sudden it was like, Slash just very casually says, uh, so we're going to make the new record with the band. And I'm kind of like, like us? You know, kind of like very sort of, he goes, yeah. I go, okay. So, I mean, you know, we're kind of like, uh, the process is, 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 is interesting because in Slash's world, you know, it's just like a, a a wealth of legendary riffs all the time. Like all the time. Every time he starts playing a riff, I think to my I immediately think to myself, 
I'm going to be watching some kid on YouTube play this riff in a year from now. You know, it's like, it's that kind of thing. Like he just, he just has like these classic great riffs and that's yep. who he is, you know? And, um, so the process of making records is generally, you know, myself and, and the rest of the band, we sort of were there kind of massaging this together to turn them into songs. Miles Kennedy's job, um, is lyrics and melody, which is, which is a really, uh, as a songwriter myself, it's, 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 it's been interesting in the slash camp because I don't really apply a lot of like, like arrangement stuff. I, I really have to kind of call on. And I've made a couple of, you know, I've got a couple of credits here and there, but largely it's more like, like people are always like, uh, you know, bring, bring slash a riff. And I go, so we can have 1 million and one riffs to work on. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like, you know, he's got like these legendary riffs. I think it's just, it's hard to kind of come in and go, what about this? You know? Uh, but he, he really, uh, he's really a wealth of this stuff. Like it's just, it's easy for him just to pick up the guitar. Like, I don't know what he's doing right now. He's probably playing guitar. Like he's that <laughs> kind of guy. Like he's literally always playing guitar. He's not a super chatty guy. He's not super like, it's all comes, it's all, all his interaction and communication comes from the guitar. So, so he kind of um, eventually, you know, we start putting things together and jamming and then Miles comes in and, 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 and puts the vocals and, and, and melodies together. And largely we try to record as live as possible in the recording process. In fact, it's never live enough for Slash. The first one we did in 2012 together was a, the album called Apocalyptic Love. And it is pretty live off the floor, at least the backing tracks. He always gives me massive credit of like, oh, Todd never made any mistakes. And I go, awesome. I don't really... I don't remember it like that, but I'll, I'll let you build that myth, you know? Um, <laughs> so I, it's never quite like, it could never be live enough. Like he loves, I mean, like when we work out songs, uh, it's like, Hey, let's go through that solo section again. Like, well, as we're arranging the song, he's writing the solo so that when wow. we go into the studio, he's not like, you know, he plays the song as if he's playing it live. He goes, you know, and then the solo comes up, he plays the solo. It's not like he plays uh, the rhythm guitar and then puts the solo on later. He generally tries to play the entire thing as a as a live performance. And that's awesome. I, I think honestly, as time goes by, I think it will become more and more live than 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 it ever has been. If it was up to him, I think we would be like we would just rehearse ourselves to death so that we can go in and just play it, you know, as opposed to like you know, piecing it together, especially in the way we do things now digitally. Um, although in our world, it's sort of a, a mismatch of digital versus analog and, and all that kind of stuff too. So, Well, you're definitely correct in terms of, I mean, anytime you guys put out a record, I listen because I'm a fan, but also I listen as a teacher because I'm going to be teaching someone one of those riffs guaranteed <laughs> yeah. every time, every time. Yeah. So it's like, there aren't a lot of records that come out as you know a fan and a teacher that you can just guarantee that yeah. some guitar you're, you're that's like I can't even imagine being part of a process knowing that that's for a fact going to happen and yeah. I can tell you on the other side that happens every yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised because I've seen it. I've seen it every time since 2000. Well, since 2010, I've been around, so that's 10 years. Watching it, kind of like you know, some song we rehearse, and, and then like a year, you know, when the album comes out, I'll be like watching some kid play that riff and it's it's awesome it's amazing to see like you know with the slash is a very inspiring guy and it's been we get sort of like you don't take it for granted but you become so normalized by it that you forget once in a while that oh yeah <laughs> people you know, people like picked up a guitar because of that guy you know, right it's, it's the way it is yeah 
That's super cool. I read there's new music coming out also, but I don't want to open the can on anything. Else, <laughs> <laughs> I always get in trouble for talking to you. Yeah. Yes, I, yes, I, yes. I assume I assume down the line, hopefully, knock on wood. It's such a wacky time trying to think of what you're supposed to do when you make music. Like right. I got friends in Corey Taylor's band, you know, Slipknot, Kerry mm -hmm. Corey Taylor, and, and a lot of people, uh, Seven Dust, are putting out new music, and I'm like, what does this mean? Like, can, we can't even play shows yet. I mean, that new so, Seven Dust record is great. If you check, yeah, it out. I'm sure it's, it's really well, good. Elvis did that. Michael Basquette, the guy who does who did the last couple of Slash records, so oh, he's wow. super talented, and 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 a Seven Dust guys are amazing. Yeah, I, I, buddy of mine used to work at a rehearsal studio in uh, Jersey. He calls me one night. He's like, "Come here right now." I'm like, "Why?" He's <laughs> like, yeah, "And it was like an hour away. Come here right now." And they were there. They had been like blocked it out for two or three days rehearsing. They were the coolest guys. Come hang out. Blah blah blah. It's like, wow, I like yeah, it. There. When people are accessible and down to earth, it just opens up like this. Like this is so special because it just opens up like the wall and it's like no we're just people talking about cool stuff there's some of us have cooler stuff to talk about than others well that's the thing you know and and, and you know people sort of i mean maybe it's the canadian small town guy in me but i really do love talking about music or the mandalorian you know whatever just, like, <laughs> just stuff you know it's like i'm that guy that's well as you could tell right there but i'm that guy that's just you know i i'm really jazzed by music and my my friends and i are constantly sending around like you know you know, old bootlegs of cheap trick stuff. Oh, I've never seen this before. You know, we're right. just we're just those guys. We're just really excited about about music. You know, that's how can't you be really? Exactly. And I think like yeah. that's you know when we had people come into the school. Like it's such my vision was to create a community where people could get turned on to things like that. You know, there's 300 concert DVDs, bootlegs, and official yeah. ones out that are constantly on loop in the lobby. Amazing. I have a display display case of all my guitar pedals that I let people take out like library books. Nice. So it's like they can, you know, and I think once we shut down due to COVID, there's like a couple that didn't come back, but it's okay. <laughs> they they <laughs> will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, you, you referenced uh, Kiss a few times. Oh, yeah. And then... You know, I saw you'd play with uh, Bruce there's, on there, the Kiss. That's yeah. a Gene Simmons axe bass right there. Beside right, you, you, you have all my good things about you. you got the Van Halen, the Kiss, <laughs> Star Wars. It's like we're best friends. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. You're, uh, <laughs> but, I, I think we're going to get along fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but don't spoil it. I didn't watch the new Mandalorian, so don't tell me yet, please. I um, haven't watched it yet either. Okay, so, okay, yeah, so we're, we're safe. We're safe. Good. Yeah. Um, so I, you, I saw uh, a video of you doing Tears Are Falling, which is my favorite Kiss song with Bruce on the Kiss Cruise, and I've interviewed Bruce twice. Awesome, amazing human being. What is that like to perform with people who are in a band that, you know, you grew up on? It's actually... I mean, I guess Slash is the same category too, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there is there is a surreal moment to it because suddenly you're a grown-up, you play music, and it becomes almost a little bit normal. You know what I mean? Like... Even in the Slash camp, we've had Alice Cooper on stage. We had Lemmy several times before he wow. passed. Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, Brad wow. Wick from, from from Aerosmith. You know, so it was always kind of this sort of, you know, like it was. It's one thing when you have like, you know, Fergie gets up and plays with us, and I'm like, she's amazingly talented. But I didn't grow up on the Black Eyed Peas. Right. I grew up on Aerosmith and Motorhead and 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 all those bands, like Cheap Trick and all that stuff. So when those guys come around, I am immediately like 12 years old. You know. I freak out, but um, and, and Kiss is no exception, especially because the first time I finally was able to see Kiss was 1985, no makeup, yep. on the Animalize tour, and the guitar player was Bruce Kulick. So it's never lost on me, even though as years go by and it, it just becomes normal to 
to know Bruce and to be like, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, but you, you know, it, I always go back to that moment and being like, wow, because it was a major impact on me. Like, uh, you know, seeing your favorite band finally live, even though they weren't wearing the makeup anymore, they still had a massive chapter without the makeup in, in, in that in that era. And uh, and I was all in on that whole era too. So, so yeah, it's, it, you know, I am a part of a, of a, I have a Kiss pinball machine out there. It's, it's oh, wow. that's a Gene Simmons mask on top of my upright base. I don't even see that, but uh, you know, it's just the pop figures back there. Oh, uh, well done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have those somewhere. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of us who can just sort of like plug in and just jam for hours on Kiss songs. It's just sort of just sort of what you do. It's it's. Uh, you know, it's a language you learned, and you had to be—you had to be the right age, I think, when you came into Kiss. Because, uh, you know, I always knew older guys that were always like, "Oh, that's stupid. You should be listening to Yes or Rush right. or something like that." And I was always like, "That stuff doesn't speak to me. This does. So I'm going to play this." You know, and and punk rock and all that kind of stuff. That also was in my my realm of of fun. You know, um, so yeah, it's when we get to do the Kiss Cruise, which is really interesting because. The Bruce Kulick thing, Brent Fitz from the Slash Band plays in that as well. Our good friend Zach Throne, who plays in Corey Taylor's band from Slipknot now. Um, we do these shows. We started with Bob Kulick, who unfortunately passed away, Bruce's brother. And uh, we we focus entirely on Bruce's chapter, you know, this whole kind of like... And at first I'm kind of like, look, I'm a fan. And like you, it's kind of like Tears Are Falling and all those kind of songs. I love that stuff. But I go, are, are people going to be like... You know, yeah, is everybody going to know these super deep cuts that we're getting into? But on a Kiss cruise, it's like a Star Trek convention, you know, for <laughs> Kiss fans. You know, it's like they are invested. They know everything. And you cannot dig deep enough. There's not like, there's no such thing as too deep for these guys. So so to us, it was just like you'd get on stage and just play and have a blast. And they're, they're fans. I'm a fan. It's just like, you know, we, we, we couldn't enjoy it more. And they always seem to really appreciate it. So we were supposed to be literally doing that right now. I think I was supposed yeah. to be coming home from Kiss Cruise 10, but such um, a bummer, man. Yeah. Um, what are you going to do? You know, it's funny not to harp on Kiss for too long, but for me, I'm born in 1983. So my first kiss was the kiss without makeup. I saw right. a, a God gave rock and roll to you on the Bill and Ted sure. bogus journey uh, <laughs> soundtrack. And then right. I, w and then they put the makeup back on. And then I was like, wait a second, there's a whole other thing that I didn't even know this thing. And it was like, I took my son yeah. uh, two times in the last two years to see him on the farewell tour, and uh, it was his first concert. He was eight at the time, and I'm just taping him as the you know the curtain drops in Detroit Rock City, and just watching like, and he had the G the Gene Simmons makeup on, like <laughs> people are calling him Little Gene. Uh, Chris Jericho was there. Is at Madison Square Garden? Sure. And it's yeah. like oh, it's just Jericho and Little Gene. Let's get a picture, but I don't want to bother. Him. <laughs> but yeah, dude, it, it's cool the way you know music can can just affect well, and that's connect. That's the one thing about a band like Kiss is that it's it's so multi-generational. And I think that to see a child's experience, you know, when you think I was that age, right. just, you know, getting knocked out by a band like that, and then to watch your kid do that is, it's almost not surprising to me because Kiss in and of itself, the, the gargantuan show, whatever gargantuan show you're seeing in some other band, you're going, well, this is all all was started by a band called Kiss, you know, right. Fire and Pyro and all that stuff is like the theatrical level of what Kiss does is, 
you know, they were the pioneers of that, you know, and, right. it, and it's still, you know, to, to witness it now. And I still, they're still my favorite band. I mean, like I've been very fortunate enough to, to be on those cruises, to, 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 to have moments with guys like Gene and Paul and just be like, you know, I, I, like I say, when you become a grown man and you're a professional and you do this for a living, you stop, you stop being like, dude, in 19, you know, you're getting all of it. You just kind of like chill and, and be with them and, and hang out. And that, you know, cause I could just as easily, you know, annoy slash with minutia about right. like how much appetite for destruction rattled my cage, you know? Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, all of that is in there, you know, all those bands, all that music, all that DNA is in here now. So it's kind of like easily called on in a funny way. Like if, if, uh, you know, when stuff like Bruce, when Bruce calls and goes, Hey, I want to do this thing. It's kind of like, okay, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, you get Zach, you get Br uh, Brent Fitz and it's like, yeah, we're all, we're all part of that school. We are invested and we know I might need to go over that song or that song, but I, I'm good to go. Let's do this. That's so cool. It's so, it's so cool just to have, you know, a career arc that is taken to a place where you're on that, I would say Rolodex, but that is not culturally relevant. You're, you're yeah. on that list to, you know, get pulled from. Um, well, somewhat. I mean, all that stuff, it comes from just being around. I mean, again, in the, in the Bruce camp, I play guitar and sing, you know, I'm mm -hmm. the lead singer and, and one of the lead singers and, and I play rhythm guitar in that show. So when I started out, like I was telling you, I played bass. But I was always, I could always play guitar and I, I was just, I never got bit by that sort of like, let's learn Eddie Van Halen songs. Right. I was sort of like, you know, I, I, again, he was like, when I talk about the Beatles or Elvis, I, I when, El, when Eddie Van Halen, I was like, well, that's for like people who know like sixth degree black belt of guitar. I, I, I loved like Rick Nielsen and mm -hmm. uh, Pete Townsend and Keith Richards. And I, I love that world. Like I really enjoy that stuff. And I can throw down like in this inversion of that quarter, da, 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 da. But I just never had that sort of thing in me that said, I want to play this super crazy fast thing or whatever. And uh, so, but as a bass player, I started playing bass. I became the singer in the band, which the way things happen when you're a kid, it's usually like, okay, now you sing one. Okay, now you sing one. And then when they finally kind of go, okay, now you sing another one. Now you sing them all. You're kind of like, I don't want to be the lead. I, I, I've always said, I would literally be happy to just stand there on stage quietly in the background playing. I don't know how quietly I would do it, but you know, <laughs> but the fact that it, that it became like, you know, that I could carry a tune and I, and I got pretty good at talking to the audience and all that kind of stuff. Next thing I know, I'm the, you know, the, the bass player lead singer. It wasn't until my brother started playing bass that I went over to rhythm guitar and he played bass and it, you know, we just sort of built, built that thing. So, but bass has always been a part of my thing. So, so that's another interesting thing that, you know, sometimes in the, in the school of music kind of thought, like I was one of those guys that, uh, well, I'm a singer and I play guitar, but I'm a bass player and I can sing the harmonies. And I, I so I try to wear a lot of hats so that, and, and I, what I find really interesting is, you know, as soon as I'm done this gig, I kind of look around and I go, you know, if I was just a bass player, my limits, you know, my, the, what's out there, the opportunities would be so much more limited than the ability to play guitar or being a singer or a songwriter mm -hmm. or any of the stuff that involves being in the studio. So I think it's good to kind of spread yourself out. It doesn't mean you should like at the risk of your, your one skill, like you should right. be a less, you know, take away from your guitar playing by doing other things. It's like, no, I, I, my, my passion of it. And what I love about music is just kind of like, if you asked me to be the keyboard player, it'd be like, well, I'm not really a keyboard player, but I'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it'd be tough. 
but that's exactly like a big part of my philosophy and, and the business model within the school. Every one of the lesson rooms here, first of all, we have Mesa and Marshall and Fender and, you know, pro amps, yeah. pro guitars in all the rooms. Every room has a piano in it. There's a big drum room in the back with two, an electric kit, an acoustic kit, more amps, half stack, you know, like, so we're always saying, okay, well, and everyone has to sing. Like yeah. the, third, the third question is like, do you want to sing? And no matter what the answer is, it's, well, you're gonna, because I always wow. want to instill in people that, you know, it doesn't have to be the prime focus, but if you're playing a guitar, you should be able to know that, okay, I'm playing a G chord. Let's try and match that note. Okay. And then yeah. the flat, let's fix it. So that's really cool and validating to hear from someone who's doing it that, you know, the more uh, versatile you are, the more attractive you are to finding work as a musician. Well, I will say as a guy who can sing, I've gotten a lot of gigs just being, oh, Okay, well, he can sing all these harmonies. Even in the Slash gig, I don't think there was even really a consideration of, of anybody singing harmonies or anything. It was just kind of like they needed a bass player. But when you're in that gig and you're looking at all these recordings, I'm going, like, there's so many great harmonies on these songs. So we really ended up building this sound. And I know it's not the focus of, 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 the, of the Slash featuring Miles Kenny and the Conspirators. Is obviously the guitar player in the band is a rock and roll Hall of Famer. You know? So... Right. so uh, but for the rest of the, the stuff, it became like, as we work on songs, um, it became like Miles would sing his lead vocals and he would literally be like, okay, see you later. And it was sort of like, he has that confidence in me to go like, now sing all your harmonies on these songs. And it is such a big part of our sound that when we do it live, it's like we sing so good together. I mean, he's he's a monster singer. So being able to sing with him is, is an absolute pleasure. But um it really has, for me, uh, you know, been a really uh, a bonus as far as like getting a gig and being able to sing harmony is is pretty pretty major skill. You know, a hundred percent. I didn't realize that you were singing the harmonies on the record too. What is the process um, like? How you write them? Because I don't have very many. Most of the people I wind up talking to are, are not the singer or singers in much of a right. capacity. So. That's really fascinating to me. Like, how do you go about that? What's your vocal maintenance? That's even more important. Like on the road, like I am, no, I am the worst guy to ask because I, <laughs> I, I really come from the land of playing smoky bars for a thousand years and really not having anything by the way of, by way of training. And that I, I feel very fortunate because, you know, I, I I've had, you know, when I say I, I had, I, I, I have had problems along the way because anybody who sings, uh, for a living is eventually going to hit walls, whether they have a cold or exhaustion. It's all the same thing. It's like anything as physical as singing will mess you up if you don't take care of it. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to like singing, I mean, a lot of things are sort of obvious and I don't mean to, 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 to like to dumb it down too much, but you know, I grew up on the Beatles and you listen to the Beatles and, and if you jam songs with your friends and they're doing like, when I was younger, so much younger than, and, and you're going, when, when I was young, I never, and you're like, you start to kind of make sense of like, that guy's singing this and this guy's singing that. And when you sing it together, it sounds awesome, you know? And uh, I think it was, a, it was an early fascination for me and a lot of my friends being able to sing harmony. It wasn't like we were sitting around singing like barbershop together. Right. But. <laughs> but, you know, when, you, you know, I was never really into like, I have a great appreciation for things like Journey and bands like that, but it wasn't really my forte. But I always had deep respect for the fact that that there's guys on stage who will step up and carry 
second, third, fourth harmonies in, in, in a song and go like, well, that's no joke. Like in, and a lot of the time, it seems to be something that kind of largely gets overlooked. I remember seeing like bands like Judas Priest. I was really into like metal as a kid. And I was always fascinated by the fact that, you know, they really, Rob would get up there and sing and there really wasn't, you know, there'd be harmonies on the record, but they wouldn't sing them live because I guess they just didn't, they just didn't sing those. And I was like, so it always seemed kind of weird to me because I grew up, like I said, I started as a bass player in a band. I eventually was forced out front to become the singer. And then I was like obsessed with things like Sting, you know, in the police and bands like that, which taught me a lot about playing really weird syncopated parts, but being able to sing something that almost kind of is in direct contrast, which yes. is which is actually guys like Getty or Sting. It's really impressive to watch it happen. There are still songs where I were like, there's a song called Driven to Tears off of Zenyatta Mandata that drives me crazy because it's like the bass line is so its own thing. And Sting is just singing as naturally as possible when I watch him do it live. I'm like, damn, dude. And, and it's, it's like it's like it's that kind of constant sort of like yes. this thing. Or But I eventually sort of like learned, not learned, but you really have to practice the ability to split your brain in half. So this half's playing the bass or the guitar and this half is singing the part. So there are times, even in, in the Slash and Miles Kennedy Conspirators Band, where there are parts I've put harmonies on the record. Because when you're doing record uh, harmonies on the record, you're just standing by yourself singing the, right. the third above Miles Kennedy or whatever. And then I get on, you know, get into rehearsal mode, and I go, "Oh, dude, this is really not. You know, it's like totally in contrast with what I'm playing at, in my part." So, uh, but it becomes really normal. Like, and I, I think that growing up on Kiss. Kiss is in a lot of ways is, is a disguised version of their version of the Beatles. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. multiple singers, lots of harmonies and the ability for Gene and Paul, especially to sing together. And uh, so to me, it was always an early fascination being able to sing and sing harmony with each other is, was always important to me. But uh, yeah, it's not for everybody. I've learned that. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely like um, my girlfriend, we make music together. She's a, a singer. She's been singing since she's a little kid. She is a harmony machine. And she's, right. she hears like, not even just the regular, the third, but if she hears like the awkward, funny ones, like the Alice in Chains ones, mm -hmm. and she hears them so naturally that like when she's whistling, whistling along to a song, she's whistling some weird harmony. I'm like, what are you doing? And she doesn't even realize it. Cause it's just, right. I think some people just have that. And that's such an incredible skill. I've known a lot of people like that. Yeah. It, it's actually taught me a lot too, of, of like guys you wouldn't expect like drummers and stuff like that, who just have a knack for an interesting harmony and that's you know that's it's a skill and, and to be honest well your question earlier about how we do it in the studio it's often um a lot of it's sort of obvious like you kind of go into a song miles has recorded a vocal he's gone um i come in usually it's kind of like you know the choruses are so much more like from a generic standpoint of where the harmonies go mm -hmm. um but it doesn't mean that there's not harmonies that flow throughout the song and we we just usually myself and the producer will be like stroking our beards about what do you think about this and what do you think about that and you know and uh it's a really fun process i really enjoy that actually a lot cool that's really yeah. cool man i yeah. you know you learn so many cool things about the process and i think like to me when i was starting out uh just that i just wanted to know everything about everything like there was a Metallica had a year and a half in the life of Metallica double VHS yeah. thing yeah i remember uh, it well yeah. dude i wore that tape out like i had to buy it two or three times it was absurd yeah. because i just wanted to know 
you get so intimate. And now with the internet, I mean, uh, you talked about like finding random bootlegs. I found, uh, sadly, after Eddie Van Halen passed, I found some video of him playing at a party. Eric Dover is singing. Derek Sherinian's playing keys. They're doing jump. And like Eddie's just having a blast. Yeah. It's just so cool like i don't it, it, it's it's something private it's not something that like it looked like a hang and there's just people there yeah. but like getting you know having youtube to be able to see something like that like i wasn't supposed to see that like no, they were supposed to see that it's so no. cool i know when we were kids it was like i i actually would joke sometimes of how like as a kid especially when i was really young and it was like vinyl all i ever saw of a band like kiss was just what i stared at on the album cover right. as i listened to the record you know and so you couldn't just like now, whatever band comes out, Imagine Dragons or whatever, you just call up every single show they've ever played. Yeah. Um, like we literally walk off stage some nights and I, and I pick up my phone and there's footage from what we just did on YouTube. You know? <laughs> it's so uh, weird. It's so weird. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. I think it's, you know, it's made it really, um, I, I can't imagine being a kid now because when I was a kid and finding the Rolling Stones, there were like 10 records to listen to, you know what I mean? Like, or, or the who, or, or any of those old bands that you'd be like, you, you would find a band and you would just be like, it'd be like a little thread you'd pull at. And like, there's just more and more and more of this. Yeah. Now I think of kids going ACDC or whoever, it would be like Led Zeppelin, you know, it's like, just like this wealth of, of things to just find. It's like, yeah. it's really exciting. I think it's exciting, but sometimes I feel like it's too much too fast because like, it can be. Like for me, like I used to go, um, I had a massive CD collection. I remember taping songs off the radio to rewind. How did he play that? Rewind. How did he play that? And then uh, a buddy of mine who's a couple years older. He's like, dude, if you love music, we got to start collecting vinyl together. And this is before like the vinyl resurgence. <laughs> right. So, yeah, yeah. so we would like drive to like thrift stores and stuff and just be flipping through the crates and just finding stuff. And, yeah. and like that, my record collections at the school as well. And we have a, a turntable out in the lobby. So it's like all of these things that like when music was like an all encompassing thing, it was tangible and it was, you know, yeah. open it up, yeah. smell it, feel it, touch yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And there I find even still like the experience of, I mean, cause we, we, I have a ridiculous vinyl, not as ridiculous as a lot of my friends, but it's pretty ridiculous. The experience of listening to vinyl is more like I sit down and I listen to the record. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's an interesting like I don't even really think about it that I that I'm actually doing it once in a while. I'll put on like, I don't know, whatever you decide to pull out, and I'll actually sit there and look at the album cover like I did when I was like yep. nine, you know what I mean? And then like and then if it's on my phone, it's a lot more like I'm doing stuff, I'm doing whatever, I'm just yep. playing music, you know. It's it's a totally different experience. But I I, I agree. It's 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 but it, you know, when, when wherever we kind of like, oh, I feel like we're on our on our like you know on the patio rocking our chairs. Like back in my day, right, it's like right. A, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that though. Because You're a long way from that, sir. You'll you'll yeah. Well, it's it's everything's happening so quickly. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, all right. So my my grand finale of these interviews because okay. our time our time is flying, man. I would talk to you all night long, but I don't want to keep you. Um, I, mean, I do. <laughs> a, a series of rapid fire questions. Uh, it's one thing or the other. Um, a lot of them are more guitar based, but I'm sure you have opinions about that sort of stuff too. Well, I have a lot of guitars. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm see. I I got the Paul Stanley Iceman, the black one, not the not the mirror finish one. I can't afford mine. I have a, I have a black one over there and a silver sparkle one behind this Gene Simmons. That's what that is. Those three. Oh yeah. The aligned yeah. Yeah, I guess I could. Oh, where, where is it? Yeah, that's that's right. And then there's Paul McCartney behind that. So there you go. 
it's weird that yeah. I saw the three knobs in a line and I kind of thought that's it, but I just didn't want to be like, oh yeah, that's of course, I know, I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, one of my favorites, yeah. Dude, it, it's, because uh, I was growing up, like, I loved Kiss, but then I like White Zombie, and Jay from White Zombie yeah. played that yeah. guitar too, the green one, Always. so it's like such a cool shape. The dude um, from uh, System of a Down had a Ice uh, yep. Man of some sort too. Yep. And now Paul Gilbert flipped it upside down and has the fireman. That's a whole nother. I have a, I have a fireman here somewhere too. I was one of those weird ones that I came across, and I was like, "Dude, this guitar is sick." As I first you looked at it, this is ridiculous. But I plugged it in. I was like, and I had to buy it right there, and then it was still. Wow, I would do the same thing. I'm I'm the worst yeah. with the impulse control. I know. <laughs> I'm sitting in a room with like 20 guitars. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know it's it is what it is. All right, so um, we'll start a humbucker or single coil pickup. I've always been a humbucker guy. To be honest, I played a Strat in, it's funny that you mentioned this, in, in uh, my, my Canadian band. Because we always thought it'd be really smart. He's playing like a Les Paul, the other guitar player. Uh -huh. I'll play like a single coil. Because I always like that kind of, you know, where you can actually really Malcolm and Angus the guitars. You know, where yep. you can actually hear the difference. Izzy and Slash is another one that I always used. Um, but I kind of felt challenged by it. And I'm not techy enough to kind of go, oh, you need this kind of stack and this kind of blah, blah, blah. It's always kind of like, it just doesn't quite have what I, so when, now whenever, like I, I have a custom guitar and a custom bass through a Canadian com company called Prestige, which also has the three in a line like that, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, uh, there are, there are like a JB and a 59 in it. And it's just, it's just the, my dream uh, combination. I just, that's kind of what I go for. I put the uh, JB Junior in all my strats because I like aesthetically how it looks with the three. Yeah, but yeah. Absolutely. I need the humbucker and the bridge. So. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I gotta try that sometime. Then there you go. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, so I guess you answered the Les Paul or Strat, but okay, if it were a Fender style guitar, Strat or Tele? Um, I probably would say Tele. I actually am a big. I actually I love guitars so much that it's really hard for me to kind of like. I know these questions to, suck. <laughs> I know, but I but I found in my. I found Telecasters. I, I'm a huge Keith Richards guy, so I always have had a great attraction to almost any kind of Telecaster. It's one of my favorite things, yeah. But that's just I, me. I, I like the Tele because it's just a slab of wood with a neck bolted onto it. Like it's just pure and unchanged. Is, I don't want. I don't want a belly cut. I don't want any of that shit no. and stuff. I just wanted a. It is bulletproof. Enough. It yeah. really is bulletproof. It really is kind of one of those things where I, you're exactly right. Like I know friends who like, you know, like your Les Paul would break because you breathed on it too hard, but the telly got thrown around and fell off the thing and it's perfectly fine. I'm like, damn dude, that it's something he really, Leo really stumbled onto something perfect. Yeah. There, yeah. It's magical. Yeah. Um, for a Gibson style guitar, would it be a Les Paul or an SG? Uh, you know, it's funny because I have a number of, of Les Pauls and I only, my brother stole my only SG cause he's my brother. Um, <laughs> But uh, I never was really into. Here's the funny thing: I'm six foot four, and 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 like I have a Les Paul Junior down here, which is one of my all-time favorite guitars. Is the Les Paul Junior? But it looks so dorky on me because it's a junior guitar. <laughs> right. So I'll see photos of myself, and it looks like I'm playing a ukulele. So, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the time, things like SGs, I always kind of thought like it just looks kind of dorky on me. But I, I will say that on a number of occasions, I've had a couple of SGs. And one of my favorite guitars is the three pickup Les Paul custom, custom. technically, that is an SG shape. And uh, uh, I would probably just 
acquiesce to the Les Paul, but I do have a great love and, and a newfound respect. Well, when I say new, probably 20 years ago that I kind of picked up an SG and, and had to buy it right there and then because it was like, this is, um, and I, to be honest, it's one of those guitars that's still on the wish list. A couple of those different SGs are still kind of like the ones that I'm looking for, you know. The, uh, the, the Les Paul custom one, I was a buddy owed me some money for studio time that I had oh, wow. been recording him. So he, uh, as collateral, gave me one of those. Nice. And I, I was really disappointed when he paid the money back and took it back. I much, <laughs> would have rather to hang on to the guitar. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear you. For bass guitars, and I, uh, would if you had to choose between a P bass or a jazz bass, where would you go? I have, I have my P bass right here. Uh, and it's funny, this, this one P bass that I got, for like 600 bucks from some dude like it was like my friend my friend sent me a thing and said dude there's a p bass on craigslist or something like that that is the dd ramon like it is the bass and i go i go okay boom i call the guy brings it to my house we kind of got it on and i you know got it on i didn't mean for that we got it on musically got it on and i was like yeah dude boom i bought it right there and then and it has appeared and i i played it more than almost well it's been on every single slash record we've recorded cool uh, i do sort of like lean in a world of of gibson thunderbirds mm -hmm. and my signature bass is is more in that realm large like humbucking pickups and stuff like right. that but i've never owned a jazz bass which is really weird and and they have a smaller again my hands are gigantic i'm a yeah, giant the neck is very small to get yeah but the, so is the Thunderbird, like a Thunderbird Gibson, is, is it sort of tapers off a lot more. So I, I, I find that the, I, I, for whatever reason, I was just saying to my wife uh, yesterday, I said, I don't know why, but I like, I'm totally in love with the Fender Precision bass all over again. I'm just kind of like, it's just, what am I, I think it's again, like the telly where it's sort of, or the Les Paul, where it's like, I always find, I, I, I love these rapid fire questions with really long answers, but <laughs> I always laugh at my at, at me and my friends because we do these sort of like, we run around, we're trying this guitar through that app, and we always land back on our Les Paul through our Marshall. Right. And then you run around doing bass stuff, and I always go, who would have guessed that a you know a, a P bass through an SVT is just like perfect? You're like, yeah. it's been perfect since 1950-whatever. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, pl I play music with this guy, a drummer, fantastic drummer, a couple years, a couple decades older than me. Mm -hmm. And uh, such a purist, and we did this yeah. big we did this big gig um, up in Vermont on New Year's Eve, and I brought my Axe Effects, my amp modeler, and he goes, oh, sure. "What? What the hell is? Where's the tubes? <laughs> what, what, is, what is it? What?" I'm like, "Trust me, I want to entertain the crowd and just press buttons. I don't want to be like dealing." I totally understand. <laughs> I I actually live in like two worlds where I have friends that are like they swear by all the fractals and Kempers and they and then I, I think there's real magic to that and then I have other friends that are 100% not that school right who need the air moving from an amplifier and I get it I sort of am more in this world but I understand the convenience of going to a gig with a very axe and just going like boom where you yeah. Easy, yeah it took me a long time to get on board with this I was kind of a purist as well but I got a uh, we Fried all are Friedman makes these powered cabinets that you feel the air moving so it kind of oh, yeah. gives the illusion of the real deal. There you go. Um, all right. I don't want to keep you over. So I'm just going to go real quick with some effect pedal questions. Super fast. Okay. Delay or reverb? Uh, delay. I think I think I get more out of a delay personally, but yeah. Cool. Fuzz or overdrive? Wow. I, I do love a good fuzz pedal, especially even with the bass. It's always fun to play yeah. with. But uh, I guess it depends. It depends what you're, you know, I've always been, and this is again, not really rapid, but I've always been from the ACDC school of like, my amp sounds good. 
you know, it sounds right. So whatever you're going to put in front of that doesn't matter. So the overdrive would be more like a boost at that point, I suppose, right. or taking it to the next level. So um, I'll say fuzz because I'm actually, I, I, I like collecting fuzz pedals. <laughs> cool. Fuzz is like a hard thing to wrangle. I've not mastered it yet. It's weird, dude. You know that dude from Rival Sons has it dialed in. He, yes. he has it dialed in, yeah. Yeah, not me. <laughs> no, I mean, not me either, actually. I haven't really uh, committed to any of that kind of stuff generally. Fuzz fascinates me because it's like the proto version of what yeah. a distortion and all those things became. So it's like, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, phaser or chorus? Um, I will say uh, I found I've gotten a lot of use out of a chorus pedal, you know, in, in, in the more subtle state of it. But with, with guys like Eddie, I actually with his passing again is another one of those things where I'm like, you know, broke out the old phase 90, which is right over there. And I was like, you can't, this is like perfect. Like how did, yeah. how did they stumble on this thing? I, so lately I, lately I would answer phaser. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Two more Zeppelin or Pink Floyd. Oh, wow. Ouch. Know. You know, it's so funny because I grew up on punk rock and a lot of, like a lot of it was not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> My hardcore friends were like, Oh, Pink Floyd, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then I, and then I like, so I, it was something I discovered way later on when I said, why were we so opposed to listening to it? And I just, to be honest, recently have been like, uh, not, not even recently, but like for, in a lot of my adult years, I've been like obsessed with Pink Floyd. I probably would have to acquiesce to Led Zeppelin only because, you know, I, I, if you asked me right now to jam some songs, I would, I would know a lot of Led Zeppelin. I wouldn't know a whole lot of Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd's also not jamming music. You kind of either right. know it or you don't. Yeah, right. Led Zeppelin yeah. is too, actually. So that, that's tough. But I'll say Zeppelin. Just but Led Zeppelin has more riffs, so like riffs and grooves, and you can fall into a little totally. easier. You can kind of jam it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's no wrong answers. Um, it, and I guess I have this whole list. I'm trying to pick the ones that make sense. No, I feel free. I'm. I, I got a. I got a minute. Uh, all right. So in the Pink Floyd world, would it be Dark Side or the Wall? I'm actually a Wall guy. It's Me like, too. So, yeah. You know, okay. It's, I can I can I can drag this on for a long time, but I've always been obsessed with anybody who has the ability to create a narrative line and make a, a you know, make music out of it. You know, like Tommy or even Jesus Christ Superstar or yeah. Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've always been like fascinated by the idea, and, I, and I've really never had the guts to kind of sit down and go like, okay, well, let's orchestrate a, a, a story and then let's write songs about this. And uh, you know, there's elements about it, and I've always threatened. And I, I still continue to threaten with my friends, like, one day we're going to book a night and we're going to play The Wall in its entirety from top wow. to bottom. I never had, I mean, obviously Dark Side of the Moon is genius as well, but I, I, I for whatever reason, have had a deeper connection to The Wall. I mean, Roger Waters is another big influence on me. And, I, and Gilmore is one of my all-time favorite talk man. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten into, like, yelling arguments uh, <laughs> after a few drinks. I mean, yeah, sure, there's yeah. something lubricated. You're an idiot. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I'm a wall guy all the way. Um, okay, so the last one I ask, a lot of people don't get the joke. So you ever seen the movie Airheads? Of course. It's been okay. a while, but yeah. Right. Okay, so Lemmy or God is, and then you just say trick Lemmy question. Lemmy is God. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Thank you for I'm, getting it. <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to to play many times with the man. And and, and every night I, with the Slash, I, I sing song a song called Dr. Alibi that, that Lemmy wrote with Slash yeah. for the solo album. So, you know, every night I get this, this, this honor of getting up there and singing this song. And, uh, he was an amazing dude, man. He really was. And, and he was really good to me and really good to us. And, and, uh, yeah, 
Uh, that's the answer. That, honestly, when they when they said that, you're like, yeah, that's the only answer, really. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> I was playing music at the Cat Club one time in the early 2000s. Oh, that place and, was the uh, best. It was, and it was a Thursday night, so like uh, the star efforts were playing at the end so like sure yeah dizzy reed was there eric dover eric singer slim jim but lemmy i guess on his son he just poked his head in while we were playing music so like i'm on the stage and i look over and i look back at my bandmates and they're like i think so i'm like no way <laughs> <laughs> i know it, it literally is like a unicorn just walked in the room it's like, really what? it was insane yeah, yeah didn't get to communicate but yeah, yeah i felt honored to just to breathe in the air that he exhaled into the room. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The Cat Club is a deeply missed uh, club in that city, actually. I, Dude, I find I, it to be. Yeah. I was so bummed. Like, I didn't know. So I, I, I'm sorry, one more thing. I'm sorry to keep you. Um, uh, we used to play out. We would go to the NAMM show every year, and we would always book a West Coast tour around it. Great. And I did that for like eight years solid, and then life, and then stopped. So I went out um, like two years ago, and I was trying to show uh, my girlfriend. I was like, this amazing club. It'll be great. It's like it's an Irish bar. What the what? I know, I know. It, every time I drive down that street or I'm on that street, I'm always like, oh right, yeah. You kind of forget because it was such a great little, like you say, it'd be like anybody who who yeah. would, uh, who's who would would be in in the club jamming on those nights, and Gilby gotcha. would be there all the time, and guys like that, and, and Slim Jim's still one of my all time heroes. So you know, yeah, it was weird times, but yeah. Well, that that's what the Lucky Strike or there's a number of different places in in LA now that you can yeah. you can do this a similar thing, yeah. It's very sad. But if dudes like you keep rocking, then we're going to be okay. Yeah. So, see, I did that. Thank yourself. Thank yourself, sir. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sorry I went a bit over, but this has been incredible. Um, My pleasure. Stay safe out there. Yes. Um, and you hopefully, too. we all come through this. Happy holidays as they approach us. Yes. And uh, I look forward to watching it on the internet, man. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you too. Everybody out there, keep on rocking and doing your thing for sure. Thanks. That was great seeing you, Rob. Awesome. You too, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.